Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Facebook at ESPN Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. Welcome in, ESPN 1000, the place to get you ready for the Buffalo Bills at Soldier Field today against the Chicago Bears. The Bears heading into the final three games of the season, and it's going to be, uh, well, it's going to be balmy out there compared to yesterday. Uh, looks like game time temperature around 12 degrees, so actually the game time temperature will be higher than the point spread. Uh, Bears currently a eight and a half point underdog to the Buffalo Bills who come in at 11 to three. And the Chicago Bears are at 3-11, and and there is some uh, more injury news for a defense that can't uh, really afford any more injury news. So uh, we'll get to that as well. And we'll take your phone calls, 312-332-3776. Rob Schaefer, the great uh, Bulls beat reporter from from NBC Sports Chicago, will jump on in. We'll talk about the wild week of the Chicago Bulls, who have their first three-game win streak of the season, which is something to celebrate for a team that's had its share of dysfunction as well as of its share of losses. And um, Mark Potash, my buddy from the Chicago Sun-Times, will jump on in covering the Chicago Bears. He'll give us a scene setter at Soldier Field, let us know what's going on in the latest in Bears news. But uh, let's start with some good news because uh, DeMar DeRozan, he packed the Superman uh, cape again last night, brought it to New York. Six seconds to go at Madison Square Garden. DeRozan off the Levine screen. DeMar DeRozan. Time to go home. It's time to go home. Compton's in the house. Stacey King and uh, Jason Benetti on the call. NBC Sports Chicago. The Bulls won 18-117 winners at the Garden in New York. Their third consecutive road win. And it was only six days ago that they hit rock bottom collectively as a team, allowing 150 points to a Minnesota Timberwolves team that was without a couple of its star players and uh, a franchise record 82 points in the first half of that game. And uh, reports following that game had uh, a little incident at halftime where voices were raised within the locker room and um, maybe some finger pointing instead of thumb pointing going on. And we'll talk to Rob Schaefer about the fallout from there, but the uh, the collective good news is that the team has responded so far in a very positive way because um, two back-to-back buzzer beaters and that three-game win streak as they hit it, head into the final game of the road trip before heading back home to Chicago. So um, a lot to talk about today and an hour to do so. We have a Twitter poll question up there as well. What will happen at Soldier Field today? What will the Bears do? Eight-and-a-half-point underdogs. Will they have the big upset of the 11-3 and Buffalo Bills, or will they simply cover that 8.5-point spread, or will they uh, not cover the 8.5-point spread? We'll talk again to Mark Potash at the bottom of the hour and uh, find out what his take is on the Bears as they head into the final three games of the season. Unfortunately, they have shut down cornerback Jalen Johnson and uh, Kendall Vildor also are put on injured reserve as of yesterday out for the rest of the season. So we have um, some injury news, again, on the defense that's been decimated via injury and trade and um, has certainly not been a bright spot for the Chicago Bears throughout the season. But it's all about Justin Fields at this point and uh, what he can do in the final three games here as uh, we head into the offseason and um, have uh, have Ryan Poles get to work with all that cap money 
and with the upcoming draft to improve the lot of the Chicago Bears. 312-332-3776 is the number. Uh, again, the Bulls' big winners last night. Now we have to stipulate that the uh, New York Knicks did not make their free throws. Had they done what they should do and normally do at the line, they're an 80% free throw uh, shooting team on the uh, season. But last night, 15 of 26 from the stripe, uh, 57.7%. Only 9 of 15 in the fourth quarter. So they opened the door for the Bulls to come back from a six-point deficit. Matter of fact, in the final minute and six seconds, they missed four free throws. So that gave DeMar DeRozan the opportunity to do what he does and what we've gotten used to him doing, being the hero at the end. You know, I think he can speak to it pretty well. It's just interesting. I think in those moments, things kind of calm for him, and he he slows his mind and thinks about what's going to happen, and he reads. And I think as things are unfolding, they, they happen slow for him, you know, and I think that he doesn't get, you know, um, caught up in like a lot of the chaos and the craziness of, of the clock the time you know he knows and he knows that like okay i've done this hundreds of thousands of times over my career not so much making but worked on these kind of shots that i think he gets himself to a quiet place where he knows what he's got to do that's bulls head coach billy donovan talking about demar DeRozan, who had to shoot down uh reports that he had been considering asking the team for a trade after this season if the bulls don't write the ship and uh, DeMar DeRozan told uh, the Bulls beat reporters in New York he's never asked for a trade in 14 years of uh, his NBA career. isn't about to do it now. He's signed on, and he's signed through next season. Uh, whether the Bulls would trade him or not by the trade deadline is a different story, but uh, DeMar DeRozan said that he is not uh, someone who's going to go into the front office and say, I need to get out of here because uh, I, you know things aren't going the right way. But... Um, Billy Donovan, it's certainly been an interesting week for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, it started with the dysfunction in Minnesota, now a three-game win streak. What uh, needs to happen as you move forward? I think our guys have always competed individually. I don't know if we've been great collectively, and that's the goal you want to be able to do. We've got to be collectively you know, great. You wear, like, here's what's happening. We're all connected. We're all committed to what's going on. Uh, somebody misses a shot. They're not worried about the shot. Forget to run back in transition. Give up a layup. Things snowball. One thing leads to another. Like you got to be able to move on to the next play collectively. So, I think for our team to be the best version of itself, we have to do those things. Not to say we're going to be perfect, but we have to do those things. So it's not so much like oh, we just got to play hard. It's not. I think our I think our guys all individually have a lot of pride. I think all of our guys individually compete. But like you got to do it together. <laughs> That's Billy Donovan, who, again, started the week answering questions about what exactly went on at halftime in Minnesota last Sunday uh, when the Bulls were being embarrassed. And, look, last night defensively, still a work in progress. Uh, they were torched from three-point range by the Knicks, who hit th- uh, 16 of 35 threes. But, uh, to be fair, the Bulls in the final four and a half minutes held the Knicks without a made field goal. So it looked better at times. And the most encouraging thing is that the the – Bulls' three stars all contributed. Uh, Zach Levine uh, started with uh, a big first quarter, and um, DeMar DeRozan added 25 points, 10 assists, and, of course, had the, uh, the game-winning shot with four-tenths of a second left. Uh, Zach Levine had 12 first-quarter points and a team-high 33 points on 12 of 22 shooting. He was four of nine from three-point range. And even Vooch, who um, you know had his moments of letdown around the rim and couldn't get a, a few rebounds, was out-rebounded. He did, in fact, uh, log a 15th double-double on the season, ended up with 21 points and 10 rebounds. 
But again, it started the season with uh, with the Bulls wondering exactly uh, what's going on and uh, what happened, and is this team falling apart and not playing together? And Rob Schaefer from NBC Sports Chicago is going to jump on a terrific uh, Bulls Talk podcast this week, a couple episodes that they recorded. Uh, Casey Johnson, Jason Goff, my buddies, Rob Schaefer, had a terrific hour-long conversation dissecting uh, what the problems were with the Chicago Bulls before they started their winning ways this week. And uh, some very interesting things uh, came up in that conversation, including... You know, is Zach Levine disconnected from the team? Is DeMar, are DeMar and, and Zach getting along on the floor, off the floor? What exactly is going on? What do we know about uh, that incident that happened during Sunday's loss to the Timberwolves? And also, do we care about it? Do, does it matter in the grand scheme of, of where this... I would First of all, the word I would use is exchange. That's the word I've been Ooh. using. I would say that these things happen all the time in professional sports. And the only reason they become dramatic and headliney is because we hear about, you know, one eighth of them. Um, (laughs) Conflict happens in professional sports. The reason why I think it has significance is the Zach Levine component to it, because that is the, that's kind of also folds into the broader issue that we're going to get into with the uh, report from the athletic talking about Zach kind of being a little bit of a disconnect from the organization and not seeing eye to eye with the organization. So in the sense that the players now there's two stories, whether or not they actually called him out by name or just mentioned plays that he were involved with in either way, it was directed towards Zach Levine. And um, so in the significance, it has significance in that regard, but as far as the actual incident, you know, they're getting crushed and you should be angry and your voices should be raised and you should have confrontation and all the players said as much on record when we talked to them after the game in Miami. Yeah, I personally don't think it's that big a deal. I think mm. it happens all the time. I agree with the sentiment that if guys weren't in each other's faces, there's a problem. That's that's a bigger problem. And I know that's a cliche that the, the players all said, but I actually agree with it. You know, you could say that the Zach thing specifically gives it a little, which you reported, Casey, gives it a little extra weight. But I think what that brings us to or transitions nicely to is the real story from yesterday, which, like you said, Casey, came from The Athletic, uh, reported on a, a quote-unquote uh, not seeing eye-to-eye between Zach Levine and, and the Bulls, uh, reported on some face-to-face meetings. Obviously, the, the team has met, you know, the classic players-only meeting thing a bunch of times. Zach and DeMar have met individually to try to work out how that relationship is going to work on a basketball court. You know, we're not, not talking personal, but just on, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of playing. And also some tensions, you know, between the players and and the coach and the coach and the coaching staff, Billy Donovan, um, that there's some quote unquote skepticism there. There's just there's just kind of like a little bit of a disconnect between how you go about winning. I mean, one thing I've heard is that you know Zach's like, and it, it really stems from the night he got benched against Orlando. He has never, right. in my opinion, and I'm around him a lot. He has never fully recovered from that. That stung him deeply and his thinking is kind of like you guys paid me 215 million dollars what are we doing here you know and zach is about the team you saw the seven assists last night you saw his ability to move the ball um but he also has a lot of confidence in himself and um you know with this new random offense that they're trying to run there's times he may not feel like his skill set is being utilized to the to the optimum and, you know, it's a work in progress. I don't think – Zach's not going around every day, like, angry or, like, mad at people. He's just 
he's just uh, he's he's been frustrated. And then you know you got to tie into the health situation too. It's been a, it's been an odd disjointed season for Zach Levine. Just, that's just a slice of the uh, very interesting Bulls Talk podcast. You can find it at NBCSportsChicago.com. Uh, a terrific hour-long uh, podcast going in a deep dive into what's going on with the Chicago Bulls. But the good news is the Bulls have found some winning this week. It'll go along with the, uh, the bumpy ride that started it all. And uh, Rob Schaefer, one of those voices, along with Jason Goff and uh, Casey Johnson, who were all part of that great Bulls conversation. Rob will jump on with us after the break to talk about the Chicago Bulls. Right now, though, we'll go to the phones, 312-332-3776. Cole starts it off out in Wheaton. Hey, Cole, what's up? Hey, what's up? How are you uh, doing? I'm good. I think the Bears have a really good chance to win today. I just think that... And I kind of want to hear your guys' opinion. If the Bears, if they can stay long drives, they can hold the Bills, the field goals in the red zone, what do you think that that gives them a chance with the weather and everything and some of the injuries on defense? Well, look, you know, for one, it was supposed to be, I think, a lot windier than it actually is today. So the um, the concern or the thinking that the, the passing game would be pretty much non-existent for either team uh, may not actually be in play today. It's certainly going to be cold, and there is going to be – some windy conditions, but I don't think we're going to see 35, 40-mile-an-hour winds. So Josh Allen may be able to operate like he and that Bills offense does. But, you know, the Bears are going to, you know, they're their top-running team in the NFL, and they get Khalil Mack back, or Khalil Herbert back, rather. Um, and so they have a full complement of a ground game. And, of course, we know Justin Fields has got eyes on the 1,000-yard mark for the season, and um, he should be uh, doing what Justin Fields does. Um, I just think now with the, the Jalen Johnson news, and in particular, I just think the Bears' defense is really going to have a challenge on its hand to uh, on its hands to to try to stop this Bills' offense. And and when this Bills' offense is rolling, which has been more often than not this season, as evidenced by their eleven and three record, um, I you know th- that's a very healthy um, spread for a road team, eight and a half points uh, coming into Soldier Field. So, you know the the Bears. Held on and and made it close with the Philadelphia Eagles. I thought maybe that was a little bit of a trap game, a look ahead game for Philadelphia since they have Dallas today, a you know obvious rival for the Eagles. But here's hoping the the Bears find a way. And we'll talk to Mark Potash, bottom of the hour, and find out what he thinks. But I think it's going to be a tough uh, tough go for the Chicago Bears today. But I I think a lot of the uh, people who cover the Chicago Bears give them a puncher's chance today. So we'll find out. ESPN 1000 going to take a couple minute break here. Come back with Rob Schaefer and talk some Chicago Bulls, Red Hot Bulls, three game win streak. ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. Back here in ESPN 1000, you get Brian Haley till top of the hour. A lot to get to and a very little period of time to do so. So let's hop right to the hotline and bring in Rob Schaefer doing terrific work at NBC Sports Chicago covering the Chicago Bulls along with Casey Johnson and, of course, Jason Goff pre- and post-game as well and Tony Gill, part of the team, and a, a terrific podcast this week, Rob. Uh, first of all, welcome into the show. Thanks for your time today. How are you doing? I'm good, Brian. I uh, appreciate you having me. Um, you know, unfortunately, dysfunction leads to really good conversation. And uh, hmm. thankfully, the, the Bulls have found a way to put together their first three-game win streak, which should be celebrated. Uh, considering how the the week started in Minnesota, but obviously we all had uh, higher expectations, including the front office, that said they should be at least a second round playoff team. And today, with the win streak, uh, they are a half game out of a play in game. But um, 
let's start with the you know what what's going on with the stars. Good news is last night. Your top three guys uh, all contributed to a win, and again, the Knicks opened the door by not hitting free throws, but it was good to see your stars being your stars and DeMar Rosen doing what he's been doing, but um, how do you read this whole thing? Is it a, a roster construction problem? Um, is it just a, a losing begets frustration, begets you know finger-pointing problem? How, how do you read the, the season to this point? I think both of those things that you just mentioned, Brian, would be the leading dynamics. And I say I would say roster construction is an issue specifically as we're talking about these three stars because none of these guys have been positive impact defenders in their NBA careers. And they've all been, you know, they've all made their all-star teams, you know, received their personal acclaim by being star scorers, basically. Uh, and it's not to say that they're, unwilling passers or not capable passers, but a lot of these guys have been more comfortable, DeRozan, Levine, and Bucevic, scoring in isolation for a lot of their careers. That's that's how they've garnered success. So that on-court fit, I think, has always been a little bit questionable because you need to surround those three guys with a whole lot of, in terms of defensive personnel, defensive infrastructure. And then I think it's been a challenge, you know, down the stretch of last season, the Bulls coaching staff and, and, you know, the Bulls roster, the players in general, have had a hard time kind of meshing on the court uh, with these three guys because they've been trying to all figure out how to play together. Um, and these are your three best players. These are your three highest-paid players. They're being asked to set a tone on a nightly basis, and I think it's just been a process of them all trying to figure out how they can fit most comfortably together. So that's that's the basketball stuff. And then on a personal level, I mean – you know, these guys all like each other personally. Um, that's all you hear, uh, you know, publicly and privately about inside the locker room. Um, it's a lot of high-character guys that all like each other on a personal level. But again, basketball-wise, I think tensions kind of came to a head in that Minnesota game you mentioned because they gave up 150 points to a Timberwolves team missing Gobert and Towns. They were shorthanded. Um, and that's not, you know, the most prolific offensive team in the NBA regardless. And at the center of a lot of how they were struggling in some of these blowout losses this season was missed assignments defensively, defensive breakdowns. Uh, you know, Zach, Zach Levine, you know, not to put all of this on him, but he was the center of frustration, you know, in a lot of the stuff that was talked about um, on Sunday in Minnesota within that locker room. What you've seen in the last week, though, those three guys, you know, are all scoring over 20 points a game. They're taking between 17 and 19 shots each. The balance has been great. Um, defensively, as a team, the Bulls have been very active. I think Zach Levine has responded um, to the internal criticism of him uh, pretty well on that end of the floor and has obviously been efficient scoring. He's playing within the offense. Shot selection has been a question with him, too. So, basically, I, I would, if I could distill it down, I would say there are roster construction issues that are amplified when a lot of these close games aren't going your way and you are losing. Uh, tensions do rise. Um, the good news so far is that they seem to have responded pretty well to it, uh, at least for three games. He's Rob Schaefer, NBC Sports Chicago. You can follow him on Twitter at Rob underscore Schaefer, S-C-H-A-E-F. Great following. You know, interesting, um, uh, talking about the defense, uh, Alex Caruso goes out with a sprained shoulder and a concussion. And obviously he is the, the catalyst of whatever defense the, the team does play in. Uh, I ran into uh, an NBA executive uh, about a week and a half ago, and we were talking about the Bulls, and 
he's certainly aware of what the Bulls have been going through. And he said to me, he understands Lonzo Ball is an important part of this team, but he said, this important, you know, before they started winning. And then he said, and when your three best guys are your three worst defensive players, you know, really where are you going? As you mentioned, um, the defense has been better during this win streak, but I guess I'll start with the Lonzo Ball question. The front office and AK Mark Eversley, who really don't get out in front of the cameras and microphones very often, at least not often enough in my world, um, they doubled down on continuity. And in the summer, they seemed to indicate they thought Lonzo Ball would be ready for the start of the season, if not training camp. And here we are. Good news is he's getting some shots up. Bad news is it's probably a long time till we actually see him on the court. How do you double down on continuity and give Billy Donovan a contract extension if you have some, you know, issues here, defense, a three-point shooting? I mean, a few weeks ago, Rob, I asked, what was it that the Bulls actually do well? What part of the game are, are yeah. they among the best in the NBA? And the answer to, in my world was, I can't think of anything. Well, the, the answer, at least last season, was isolation scoring and, and mid-range shooting. And that was all DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and, and funny enough, you know, the, the coaching staff, and I think it's, it, it's a good idea to, um, to make this, try to make this team a little bit less isolation heavy, emphasize ball movement, get role players involved. Like, that's been an emphasis the coaching staff this, uh, you know, since training camp. And it's led to them struggling a little bit offensively. They're turning the ball over a lot more. They didn't last night, but more this season than, than they did last year um, because guys are playing a more kind of read and react, quote-unquote, random offense that they're not used to. Um, so, you know, that this year the answer really has been they're not elite necessarily at anything. Um, although defensively they've been better this week, the problem with the defense is it really seems to take – 100% engagement and focus for them. They do not have a margin for error on that end of the floor. Um, and so that's why it's a question of can they sustain this level of defensive engagement longer than three weeks when there's a lot of external pressure and, and reports of turmoil that you want to prove wrong, et cetera. Yeah. As it relates to the Lonzo question, yeah. I can't answer why they, you know, why they would double down on continuity with his health as a question mark because I didn't agree with the strategy. Because from my seat, Last season, the Bulls basically trotted out two different teams. There was the team that played from late October through mid-January, which had Lonzo Ball and, and Alex Caruso healthy for most of it. Top 10 in offense and defense, top of the Eastern Conference. Uh, we're really running roughshod through, through the league. Lonzo gets hurt. Caruso you know, fractures his wrist uh, on that freak play with Grayson Allen. And... There was a there were a couple weeks there where DeRozan with you know some of the buzzer beaters and the game winners and the clutch heroics, he kind of propped them up, but ultimately that formula proved unsustainable and they were eight and fifteen after the All Star break last year. They they crashed to earth. They went from first in the East to sixth, got killed in the first round of the playoffs, and the rest is history. So my question with the continuity strategy was, are you getting continuity from the October to January team or are you getting continuity from the February to May yeah. April team? And the, the, the only way they were going to get continuity from the October to January team is if Lonzo was healthy to start the year. They might have had higher hopes from that coming into the offseason. By the time Summer League hit and Arturis went on uh, NBA TV and said that Lonzo wasn't progressing at the rate that they'd hoped, I think it was pretty easy to read the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to be ready for the start of the season. When they, signed, when they used uh, you know, a minimum salary slot and a roster spot on Goran Dragic, um, I think the writing on the wall was pretty easy to read there, that he was kind of an insurance policy 
at the point guard position. So that's the struggle. And at this point, you know, yeah, there have been some small, tangible pieces of progress in Lonzo's rehab, but we're not even close to, you know, putting a timeline on him starting to run and sprint. You know, that he still hasn't cleared that hurdle of his rehab. So I have no idea how to even, you know, project the likelihood he could be back this season at all. That's definitely in doubt. Um, so that's, that's, that's the challenge. And it really puts a, uh, to me, it puts a cap on the team ceiling where, yeah, they've won three in a row. There's still four games under 500. You're still a half game out of the play-in. If Lonzo were to come back at some point this season, I think you can make an argument that they could enter the playoffs in a position to maybe be a tough out, make a little bit of noise. But you'd also have to question what type of, well, you know, how, how close to 100% is Lonzo Ball going to come back? And is the ceiling of this group more than just being a tough out in the first round when, you know, according to Arturis himself, the expectation is at least uh, a second round team this year. During that podcast, you guys uh, went through a lot and uh, did a deep dive. And the question of personalities and whose team is this? And, uh, you know, I know it's been written that when you're a max player by by default, you're, you're the face of the organization and should be leading the team. But, uh, you know, talking about DeMar DeRozan and how the young guys seem to follow him and he puts them under the wing and he takes Patrick Williams to workouts in the offseason. And maybe that's not Zach Levine's personality per se, but... Um, and then you Vooch. I remember being on the air here on the station uh, the the morning that the uh, the Vooch trade broke, and no one saw it coming, and we all celebrated it, right? Thinking, okay, you're going to get Zach some help, and then obviously Demar ends up showing up on the scene. And I thought you really have a foundation here with which to build upon. Um, I'm not so sure I feel that way today. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, I think the reason the Vooch trade was celebrated at the time, right, is one. We were still in the honeymoon phase with this front office, right? So anything you do is going to be better than the last guys, who everyone was so tired of uh, by the time they, um, you know, were out of town. And what it signaled was a complete change in philosophy. It was, we're not going to sit on our assets. We're not going to wait for this to, you know, the league to come to us through the draft or development. Or, and, and, you know, they had whiffed on so many draft picks over the years. No, we're going to operate like a team that plays in a market like Chicago, we're going to go out and chase stars, um, chase big names. Um, we're going to do so aggressively uh, and try to build a team that can turn this around and can compete quickly. The, the question that I have now or the concern, or uh, you know, it, it's really not so much of a question anymore because we have, we have a lot of evidence now, is are you investing the resources properly in taking that aggressive kind of all-in strategy? Um, because I think the philosophy behind it is something that, you know, I, I would understand if fans celebrated because um, it is so different and it is refreshing. But was two first-round picks and Wendell Carter Jr. And, and you know, the first of those picks was a top-ten pick. Yep. Um, they're still not back in the playoff picture yet. So it, this, the second one could be a lottery pick, too. Um, is that investment worthy of what Nikola Vucevic has given them so far? I, I'd say no, and I'd say uh, it's not particularly close. I mean, that's one of the more lopsided trades uh, in recent memory uh, in the NBA. Um, Zach, for the contract that he got, I think they, they they were in a position where they basically had to, you know, fork all of that over for him in the offseason. Uh, I think he's looked a lot better lately and is starting to give some credence to the fact that maybe some of his uh, struggles to start the year were acclimating after the knee surgery in the offseason. So TBD on that um, for me. 
Uh, and then DeMar, I think that, you know, that was probably the best move they've made, that sign and trade, and he's far, uh, you know, exceeded production-wise his contract. But it's the trio of those three and, and how do they play together and the dynamic of none being particularly great defensively, and then you lose a defensive player like Lonzo Ball, how that can kind of collapse the house of cards onto itself. I think all of that is, you know, points to roster construction that, you know, is not – uh, you know, as strong as it looked at the beginning of last season, when everything, when everyone was healthy and everything was firing on all cylinders, it's the gamble that they made. It's the NBA, so you know things move quickly. Transactional, the transactional nature of the league, it can be turned around fast. But with the clock ticking on this core, once that kind of expires, now you know the honeymoon phase is over, and people look at you a little bit more skeptically in terms of okay, if we deploy this same all-in strategy again. We have questions about the process this time. And, you know, it's definitely going to be looked at more critically what types of moves they make and what types of players they go after if they do end up having to remake this thing uh, in the next year or so. Amen. I mean, I I agree with you on all points. I could talk to you for another hour about this team. But I really appreciate your time this morning. And, uh, you know, hopefully they they keep the feel good going and and get back into relevance here in this town because uh, we need a little something. It's a lot of teams rebuilding or just not doing very well. And I really thought the Bulls would be better. But great stuff. Keep up the great work. Uh, The Bulls Talk podcast, NBCSportsChicago.com. And uh, your terrific work. And Casey and Jason and Tony, all the guys. Really appreciate it, Rob. Thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Brian. Rob Schaefer, uh, NBC Sports Chicago. We're going to talk to my buddy Mark Potash, who's covering the Chicago Bears. Bears and hosting the Bills today at Soldier Field. We'll do that on the other side of this break. ESPN 1000. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Obviously, we're very excited for the game uh, Saturday. You know, just a reminder to all the you know fans to be safe. You know, and traveling to and from you know the stadium, and dress warm. You know, we know this is bear weather. Um, that's uh, you know uh, exciting uh, for us as you know the Chicago Bears, and uh, looking forward to the competition and excited about the opportunity. That's Bears head coach Matt Eberflus giving you a public service announcement. Dress warm today if you're heading out to Soldier Field. The Bears coach doesn't want you to get frostbite. And uh, I guess it could have been worse. I would go out to Soldier Field and bring in my buddy from the Chicago Sun-Times doing terrific work, Mark Potash. And Mark, a lifelong Chicago resident, uh, I, I was looking at the 10 coldest games in Soldier Field history. And I remember one in 1972 when I was a wee uh, lad. I was sitting in the top row of Soldier Field freezing my tail off. And I don't remember who the Bears were playing. Uh, it was a bad Bears team. But I've never been so cold in my life. But uh, three of those top ten uh, coldest games, I was in the press box. And I hope you're up there as well. How are you doing? Doing great, Brian. I'm actually outside of Gate 38 here on the east side of the stadium. Not quite in the press box yet, but uh, I'll get there eventually. But right now, it um, doesn't seem like quite the cataclysmic weather event uh, expected. Obviously, things can change in Chicago. But, you know, kind of sunny you know, maybe 8, 9, 10 degrees, but this looks like at this point, and there's a breeze, but not like the 30, 40-mile-hour gusts that uh, are supposed to really make it uh, really difficult. So at this point right now, it looks like it's just going to be a cold-weather football game rather than uh, some kind of, uh, uh, you know, big event where, you know, where teams just can't throw the ball or whatever and they have to run. So that's where we are now, but again, it's early uh uh, new uh, kickoff at noon. Uh, things could definitely change. Yeah, I wasn't hoping for any more discomfort for whatever the fifty or sixty thousand people were going to be out there freezing. But 
the wind conditions might have uh, leveled the playing field a little bit for the Chicago Bears, who obviously bring back Khalil Herbert and uh, being the top uh, NFL running team. And certainly, even with Justin Fields taken out of the equation, as you wrote this week, uh, they would still be, what, ninth or 11th in, in running? But yeah, Justin, ninth. ninth, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. May, yeah maybe you would want it to be a little bit more breezy to, to keep the, uh, the air attack of Josh Allen and the, uh, the Bills you know, limited, but it's going to be up to the Bears' ground game. And now the defense, um, unfortunately, we get the news yesterday, Jalen Johnson uh, shut down for the season and Kildor, uh, and also uh, Kildor is also out. Um, and this defense can't afford any more injuries. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, uh, I, I frankly, you uh, are probably in the same boat as I am. I'm still scarred by that uh, NFC Championship game when the wind was supposed to shut down uh, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and yes. they threw the ball over the place and beat the Bears. So on paper, that looks like a big advantage. The Bills have the fifth-best passing game in, in the league and the Bears have the best running game. And that certainly seems like the Bears leaning on their strength would be an advantage. A, we don't know if that those conditions are going to ensue. And B, I just don't trust it uh, that that the uh, that they're not, you know, that you can still throw short passes into the wind too. So um, and turn those into big ones. So I'm not sure how much of an advantage that will be. Um, as far as the, their their secondary, obviously a big concern. But if there's one thing the Bears have done with all these injuries is they've kind of, you know, they they talk about that cliche next man up. They've actually been able to make that work, even whether it's uh, Jack Sanborn for uh, for Roquan Smith, but especially in the in the in the secondary. When those guys they, they they had a few they had the same situation against the Packers and actually did pretty well um, held up pretty well same thing happened last year when their entire secondary was out against the Vikings you know they, that was a Thomas Graham game if you remember where you know a guy who had never played before really stepped up and I think I think Kirk Cousins had like 83 yards passing and um, in that game and they shut down Justin Jefferson so I guess my point is they've been able to kind of withstand that which is very unusual because especially this year because usually when you have inexperienced defensive backs and they play well, it's often because you have a good pass rush that can kind of cover up for that. The Bears have just the opposite. They not only don't have a good pass rush, they actually have a bad pass rush. They have not really rushed the passer very well at all. And uh, their leading sacker is actually is a safety, uh, Jaquan Brisker. So um, that makes it very unusual. But the record shows that they've been able to hold up. So especially if the weather is at all an advantage, um, to the Bears, I think that will also help. I guess what I'm saying is I'm not all that concerned that that's going to be a big issue. I just think the problem is that the Bills are a better football team than the Bears. And I agree with you. Mark Potash from the Chicago Sun-Times uh, joining us here on ESPN 1000. And Mark, the eighth iteration of the offensive line going to take place today with uh, Cody Whitehair and, and Tevin Jenkins uh, not available. Um, you know, obviously you want to settle on five guys as soon as you can, and that hasn't been the the case for the Bears um, how do you evaluate what Justin Fields has done, given the fact that the wide receiver room is uh, nothing to talk about, and the offensive line, although it's been much better of late, has been a, a turnstile? Yeah, I think it's been a big win for the Bears, big picture-wise, just that he's been able to make progress uh, that he has, uh, hasn't made the progress in the passing game. But, I mean, that makes sense. This is a good run-blocking uh, offensive line. It's, a, it's not so good of a pass-blocking offensive line. They are the Bears. Look at the numbers. The Bears are lead the league in, in rushing, and they are 32nd and last in, in sacks. That's not always on the offensive line, but it mostly is. So um, I think for him to, to do what he's done with this line, with, this, with these receivers, you know, Chase Claypool really has not been a big factor. 
Um, I think that's a big win. And if you're a believer that, hey, all he had to do was just make some progress, be standing at the end, which is so far so good, and then you fortify that uh, supporting cast in the offseason through free agency and the draft, uh, I think you got to be feeling pretty good about what the Bears have, have done. This is the best bad Bears team uh, or best bad Bears season I've seen in a, in a long time. Go back to the Lonnie era. So I think overall, uh, unless you're you know obsessed with you know them winning games, which is uh, you know obviously important, uh, I think you got to be really happy with, uh, with the way uh, Justin Fields has progressed. It's a big win for the Bears of anybody who knows their history of quarterbacks. Even as it stands right now, with them being last in passing and stuff like that, that's still a big win for the Bears. Uh, relative to what they've the, the way they've been able to develop quarterbacks that's very well said the the best bad bears team and, and we have a plane uh, of those bad bears teams to choose among and you know when you have a seven game lose, losing streak and eight you've lost eight of nine um the the eye test has been much more uh pleasant the last six seven weeks and so i i guess you know no one's doing hand hand wringing about Eberflus or luke getsy or it's you know how do you even evaluate a defensive coordinator given the injuries and the trades uh, i i didn't i didn't see losing streaks of this length coming before the season but i didn't see them trading away uh smith and and obviously roquan um when you're around these guys all the time how do you feel about the the powers that be and and particularly the coaching staff right now well, I think they have a lot to prove, but I'll say this. I think Eberflus, is, if he's been anything this year, he's been a head coach, uh, even more uh, than a defensive coordinator, uh, frankly. And while he had a similar situation with Matt Nagy his first year, he was a much better head coach than he was an offensive coordinator. I still think there's more faith that, uh, that Eberflus will get his side of the ball right. For one thing, it's just easier to get defense uh, right than offense. Offense is just so meticulous, it's so precise. It just takes a lot to do, and, and Nagy struggled with that when you don't have a quarterback. Eberflus, I, I just have to believe that you know he's done it before. I think he can do it again uh, and, and get this defense right. But my main point is, I think these coaches, especially uh, Getzey and Eberflus, I, my impression uh, just from uh, you know just observing them and just watching you know what they do, I think overall they're good at what they do, and I think they will be good. I think once the Bears have some success, if they get some success. I think under this coaching staff, they'll be able to sustain it better than previous ones. I guess that's, that's probably the biggest point is I can't say that they're going to get there. You know, it's so hard to, to be successful in the NFL, no matter how good you are, because there's so many things to do with the quarterback and talent. So they get. All I'll say is if they do have success, I think they will sustain it, whereas Nagy uh, could not and, and, uh, and Mark Tressman could not and just, you know, previous coaching staffs haven't been able to do. I know a lot of people are just hoping for the highest draft pick uh, you can get. And as we sit here today, they would select uh, number two in the draft. But they've had games where they were in control late in the games and could have won those games, and um, they did not get it done. Um, The final few games here, winning isn't the most important thing or the only thing, but even an upset today what what would it mean for this team does it doesn't is it uh a necessity to to find a win or two here in the final three games and and you know especially if you have your hands on it late in the game does it do they need that kind of proof or evidence in the locker room that they're on the right path i don't think they need it i think it all obviously helps i think they could use some validation that what they're doing is right but i'll tell you this team they really believe they're heading in the right direction so I don't think there's a mental thing like they're worried about, uh, hey, maybe this thing isn't worried out. It hasn't been one of those seasons. There hasn't been, it's not the dread that we had a year ago oh, at no. the time where you knew it was a disaster. Uh, this this, this uh, locker room, this coaching staff, I mean, they, 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 they feel pretty good about where they're going, even though they're, they're losing games. So I don't 
I think it always helps to have validation. I think it'd be better to beat the Bills and to say beat the Lions, even though the Lions are really playing well now. I just think that, that would be a, a big boost for them, even though it would kind of hurt them in the draft. Um, so I'm not saying they have to win, uh, but I'm saying, yeah, I, but I agree that, uh, yeah, you need that because, you know, um, you, I, I, I'm, I've, been, I've been one of those guys who just says, you know, one of the people saying that, you know, the draft pick is hugely important and, and, and to go 8-9 and nine and get a, a, a 10th or 12th or 15th draft pick would not help this team. But on the other hand, I, I, you still don't know that, this, that Justin Fields is one of those guys, uh, it factor quarterback, who can just will a team to victory. And, and I think he's got to prove that. So um, to, to get a game like that where he actually put, puts them over the top or just his offense puts themselves over the top, I think it would definitely help, even at the risk of, of dropping a few spots in the draft. We'll let you go and, and get warm in the press box. But uh, before we let you go, do you give him a puncher's chance today or do you think the Bills are just uh, too good either side of the ball? Well, I don't know. I think we're like seven, six days removed from the Texans almost beating the Chiefs. So anything can happen in the NFL. And uh, I think the Jaguars be, uh, beat the Cowboys a week ago, too. So uh, no doubt, any team can beat any team in the NFL. The Bears are certainly capable with a quarterback like that, especially in a day when you want him to you know, He's going to run just to stay warm. Uh, you know he's going to be looking to run today. So uh, you know, play to his strength. Uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it's very it's uh, definitely possible. I'm not expecting it. I'm not saying it will happen, but it definitely can happen. That's the NFL today, and the Bears are, like I said, among among three and ten teams or whatever, uh, three and eleven teams. You know, they're they're not uh, they're they're not hapless. You know, so uh, they're certainly capable. If it could happen, uh, you know, with the, if the Texans come that close to the Chiefs, I think I think the Bears can certainly uh, beat the Bills. Mark, will let you go. Tell him to get you a contract for the Newspaper Guild. You guys deserve it. My good Lord, you guys are kicking. You're just knocking out of the park every single week. And it's terrific that we have a, such great sports staff in town. And as an alum, I, you know, I'm, I'm paying attention. But uh, keep up the great work, uh, the entire Bears team. Uh, you guys covering this team. It's really been outstanding this year. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. I think uh, sometimes it's a great Chicago survival story and uh, one that should be recognized. And I appreciate you. Uh, for all the work you've done uh, to help uh, get us there. I appreciate that. And, and also, thanks just very much for your support and recognizing that because it's important to all of us. It should be important, hopefully, to the city. It, it's a, uh, every city needs to be a two, every great city needs to be a two newspaper town, and, and I'm glad Chicago still is. Amen. Mark, have a great day. We'll be looking forward to your coverage uh, tomorrow, today and tomorrow on uh, suntimes.com. Thanks, Brian. Great to talk to you as always. Have a Merry Christmas. You're the man. Thanks, Mark. Mark Potash, you uh, read his work in the Chicago Sun-Times, suntimes.com. He's out there covering the uh, Bears, who host the Bills today, the 11-3 and Buffalo Bills against the 3-11 and Chicago Bears. And Mark said it, this is about uh, as good a bad Bears team as we've seen in this town. Should be an entertaining game. We'll talk a, b- a bit more about it on the other side of the break on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Facebook at ESPN Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. Coming up on 954 ESPN 1000, Christmas Eve day. Merry Christmas to all of you out there celebrating and running around trying to do last-minute errands and shopping. Hopefully you're going to have a, a wonderful time with family and friends tonight and tomorrow celebrating Christmas. And... Um, Jay Cantu, my producer, Merry Christmas to you. And you're getting out of town. You heading home? Merry Christmas, Brian. I am heading home. Hope your mom's not listening. Oh, God. She not. No, listen. she wouldn't. Okay. Uh, yeah, you're getting... Uh, you're, no, you're, you're from Texas. You're from Dallas, right? Yes, sir. From Dallas. And you, you've gone to school at DePaul, so you've been in town for a while now. 
Going on six years. Have you ever felt cold like this in the last couple days? Brian, I want to leave so bad (laughs) for a couple months. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I mean, I'm born and raised here. I can go back, you know, about three, three year lifetimes to the 1967 blizzard when I was seven years old and the snow was up to my, you know, waist and, you know, buses were stalled in the street and people were just walking, you know, abandoning their cars. And even at, at years ago, the groundhog blizzard, storm, polar vortex, thunder, snow, and Lakeshore Drive became a, a parking lot. I mean, literally people could not get off Lakeshore Drive because there was no exit and the snow was plowed up and, and piled up. And people were abandoning their cars or sleeping in their cars overnight. And, I mean, I was doing morning drive, and I remember taking public transportation and walking through deserted streets to get to and from NBC Tower. Um, but this, as you get older, it doesn't get any better, Jake. These last two days, i got to tell you, as a Chicago native, I mean, I, it, it, I thank God we didn't get the 12 inches of snow they were talking about. But the 40-mile-an-hour the winds the last couple of days, you know, I, I could live without that now. No, you see, like, it's almost like tornado type swirls yeah. in the in the wind with it and then i made my mistake too my, the first year i moved here quickly i gave myself frostbite because i thought anywhere i would go to eat i could take home my drink <laughs> without a glove <laughs> so that i can't feel the tips of my fingers when it gets really cold and yeah and and you know booze in this weather you think it warms you up temporarily but it really doesn't help you in the long run Lesson learned. Yeah. Uh, before we get out of here, we had a Twitter poll today. We talked to Mark Potash about the uh, Chicago Bears hosting the Bills and what he thought might happen today. We had a Twitter poll question. What will the result be at Soldier Field? Will the Bears pull a big upset? Will they cover that eight and a half point spread or will they not cover? And the Bills will be out of here with the 12th win on the season and a 12th loss for the Chicago Bears and, and maybe a lopsided loss. How did it all end up? A lot of confidence here for the Bears to cover at 51% and then don't cover at 42%. Big win, 7%. So Only 7%. Wow. As, as well as they've been playing, at least offensively, and making it entertaining. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, we had a, a caller earlier in the show ask, I just think the defense is going to have its hands full, even though, as Mark pointed out, the next man up mentality has served this team well. Um, now with Jalen Johnson out in particular, um, you know, Jaquan, Jaquan Brisker has been terrific. Uh, there have been some bright spots, but Sanborn's been out too now, and he was certainly a, a positive storyline for the season. But who knows? I mean, it's going to be a great day. Uh, hopefully you can get your errands done sooner than later, and you can uh, settle in and warm up and get in front of that TV and watch the uh, Bears host the Bills today. And in just a couple of mi- uh, minutes, uh, we'll have Jeff Meller and Dion Miller bringing you the best pregame show in town. They'll be here from 10 until noon. And, uh, again, everyone have a terrific holiday, a uh, wonderful Merry Christmas. Stay warm, and we'll talk to you again next week on ESPN 1000.